0: Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out, and enjoy the message. Um, Sermon on the Mount. Let's transition into that. We have just a few moments this morning. We've been studying through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount a few verses at a time. And so this is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus's that we have in the Gospels. I want to start with a tough question. Where did Jesus deliver this sermon? Yeah, on the Mount. Are you okay? I'm trying to, it's Memorial Day weekend. Let's start with the easy ones. And sometimes in Baltimore, I need to ask the easy ones to know. Because the way you look at me when you're deep in thought, And the way you look at me when you're completely daydreaming is exactly the same. And I don't always know. So sometimes I have to ask these questions just to see. I need a longer earlobe to make this stay. But that's a problem for another day and another doctor. All right. So I also need to remember not to say everything I think out loud into the microphone where it lives in perpetuity on YouTube. But this is the longest sermon that we have of Jesus's. And it's... It's pretty straightforward. Jesus is talking to a specific group of people. Do you remember the first group of people who heard the very opening part of the message? Who were they? His disciples. By the end of the sermon, there's more people gathered around, right? These are would-be followers of Jesus. They are people who are interested in Jesus. They're not... As fully devoted as his disciples are yet, but they want to hear from Jesus his pitch, his explanation for what one of his followers is, what a disciple does, what differentiates one of his disciples from everybody else. If he's a king, then what is his kingdom like? Where are the entrances? Where are the boundaries? And what's the culture like inside of his kingdom? How do citizens of his kingdom act and behave? What do they do? How do they treat each other? How do they interact with the king? This whole sermon is about who Christians are and what Christians do. It's simple, but it's not easy. And he has just finished up a section that Pastor James taught last week about three spiritual activities that all of his followers participate in. And he introduces them with the same phrase. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. He doesn't say if you give. If you pray, if you fast, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. What he's saying is right out of the gate, everybody in my kingdom is a giver. There's no exceptions. Everybody in my kingdom prays. Everybody in my kingdom fasts. But then he also goes on and says, and there's people outside of my kingdom that give. And there's people outside of my kingdom that fast. And people outside of my kingdom that pray. Let me tell you how my people in my kingdom give, fast, and pray Differently than people outside of my kingdom participate in those spiritual activities. You have to go back to last week to get that. But then Jesus does something that's really refreshing and we don't want to miss it. Jesus not only says there's some spiritual things that his followers need to manage well. He says there's some material things that his followers need to manage well. Jesus is aware of and concerned about stuff and things, possessions, things that you buy using money that you have. He's aware of that He's, because, let's face it, we are living in a material world. And, no, I'm not going to finish the song. We're not going to quote Madonna this morning. I'm not a material girl, but we are living in a material world. Right? There's things that you need, you have to buy, and if you don't have them, you're not going to live long, right? Hello? What in the world? We give you coffee? I'm trying to figure out where I need to start with this this morning, All right? You're not going to live long if you don't have shelter, food, water, medical care, right? Okay. These are material things you don't have basic transportation, if you don't have a way to earn money, if you don't have some, some some clothes to wear, some shoes for your feet, some basic things, maybe some basic ways of communicating. There are basic necessities of life that are material things. You can have them, own them, buy them, possess them. You need them. And the Bible is not anti-you-having things. I want to make that very clear because there's a way that that gets taught, and there's a way that what Jesus says here gets twisted just a little bit that could leave you with the impression that Jesus doesn't want you to have a savings account, that Jesus doesn't want you to think about retiring one day, that Jesus doesn't want you to have any more than one pair of shoes and one shirt. There's a way of twisting this. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying that any of the stuff and things of life that you can possess or have are evil, nor are they righteous. They are morally neutral. They're neither good nor bad in and of themselves. They're just things. Okay, They're just things. What I can drive, what I can earn, what I can rent, what I can own, where I can vacation, what I can collect, how I caffeinate myself. All these different things. They're stuff and things. They're material things. And Jesus talks about it he tells us that in his kingdom people still need material things it's just they treat material things differently than the way people treat material things outside of his kingdom and he does something really convenient for us he groups all of the material things of life into two buckets necessities and treasures now i don't want to get into an argument this morning about which is which. Because some of you, I might say, that's not a necessity. And you say, oh, yes, it is. If I don't have that kind of shoe to go with that kind of pant. I don't want to split hairs. Well, anyway, I don't want to get down to the nitty gritty of all that. But Jesus is going to talk to us about both. He's going to talk to us about the things in our life that are extras that we have to store because we don't use them in the normal. They're, they're beyond our necessities. They're extra. They require storage. Closets and sheds and drawers and glove boxes and that center console that Lord knows no one should go into, right? Your bottomless purse. You know, like they extra and necessities. He talks about both. And he's going to make some pretty solid but very challenging statements about how people in his kingdom, how Christians, how disciples should manage material things. Let me read to you the short section we'll study, and then we'll unwind it pretty quickly together this morning. And if you'd like, this deserves a whole lot more time than what I'm able to give it this morning, but if you scan the QR code, you can download the full study guide, all my resources. There's You'll see some new books in there this week. That's because I have been... Blessed to be able to receive some volumes from uh, the late Dr. Baldwin's library. And, um, and so some of those are in here, especially the book by G. Campbell Morgan is a knockout. I have a first edition copy of it from his library, and it is incredible the work that he does on this passage. It's unbelievable. So thank you to Dr. Baldwin's family and to Wayne and Gwen and, and Joan for allowing me to have that. And now part of his legacy is living on and helping us be able to understand the Bible better. Let me read to you Matthew six nineteen through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. And if we paused right here. You'd see, aha, I've heard this before and I already know where you're going. Jesus is against storing up. Jesus is against storing up anything for ourselves. And he's definitely against treasures. And you hear that. We call that the poverty gospel. Have you ever heard the poverty gospel before? Poverty gospel says this, God wants us to have nothing. The less you have, the holier you are and so what we need to do is live is to live every christian should live on as little as possible and give all of the rest of it away to the church and to missionaries and to the poor just give it all away and live on nothing and the less you have the holier you are and the more you have the more sinful you are and they take a verse like this and they say see i just trust jesus i don't save up for retirement I don't save up for a rainy day, I have no emergency fund, I own nothing, I give it all away, therefore I am holy. And yet if you skip down to 20, he says, store up for yourselves treasures. So he's not anti-storing, he's not anti-storing up, he's not anti-storing up for yourself, and he's not anti-treasure. But then you can take it and say, oh... See, this is the prosperity gospel. God wants us all to be wealthy, says the Bible. It usually just says the preacher, right? And the holier, the more that I have, the holier that I am. God wants me to be blessed and highly favored, because you can't be highly favored without blessed. And that looks like jets and cars and real estate and clothes. When you think of wealth, do you think of a full closet or an empty closet? I think of a full closet and multiple do you think of one car or a fleet of cars? One plane or a fleet? Do you think of a house or an island? Like we, when we think of material wealth, we think of abundance and excess, more than what we basically need. And it's interesting, the Bible doesn't say it's prosperity gospel, that the more you have, the holier you are. It doesn't say it's the poverty gospel, that the less you have, the holy you are. The Bible teaches stewardship, and that is to be content and faithful with whatever you have, whether it's a lot, a little, or in the middle, because it's not yours anyway. It teaches stewardship. Because in the Bible, you have people in poverty, people in wealth, and people somewhere in the middle who are all used by God. And yet, in every one of those classes, you can find contentment. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin don't destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For this is interesting. We usually reverse the word treasure and heart in this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we usually, when you hear people repeat this, it, you know what the Bible says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. That's not what it says. It says, look, look where someone's treasures are. Look at what they value highest, and you'll find their heart close to it. Okay. And then he seems to make a subject change, but it really isn't. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, that's an okay translation. The better translation is good. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, better translation evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, our last verse for the day. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Here's a big idea. It's a couple sentences. But here's, if I could summarize what I think Jesus is saying about material things here, and he's talking about treasures. Do you know how that word is literally translated in Greek? If you go back and read the original sentence, and G. Campbell Morgan does that work for you, what Jesus actually says is, don't treasure treasures. He uses it as a noun and a verb. He's making a play on words. And that word treasure means an an abundance of excess. You think like some ancient treasure chest with gold coins spilling out of it. He's just saying anything you have that is excess. In other words, if you have so many clothes that some of your clothes are no longer in the rotation. They're in the back of your closet where moths are eating them. He's saying, how wise is it for you to buy that much stuff that the stuff that you buy you can't even enjoy anymore, it's just disintegrating. It's like, that's foolish. And we're like, that is wrong. Why do I do it? It's almost like he's saying, listen, why do you have that much stuff that you need multiple sheds? and bigger closets, and you need to rent space on someone else's property to store your things. And while they're in there, they're gradually disintegrating and devaluing over time. He can't be talking about that, Pastor, because that's too personal for me. (laughs) Here's what I think Jesus is saying to us. Our need for material things, and we have a need. You were created with a need to possess and have. It's in there. It must never become greed for material things. I'll differentiate in a moment. When need mutates into greed, material things no longer serve us. We serve them. And that results in divided loyalties. And God can't be considered anything less than supreme. Now, odds are you're not going to remember everything I say. Odds are even better that next week you'll probably remember very little of what I say. So I've got to be very realistic about the mental outlook I have to have on a Sunday morning saying, I'm going to get up there and take these 20, 30 hours of study, and I'm going to teach for 30 to 45 minutes, and I'm going to hope that people are going to remember everything when I realize they might remember one sentence. Those of you that teach regularly, you understand that world, (laughs) but I don't know which sentence you're going to remember, so I've got to make them all important. Here's the one thing that I hope that you remember. You're not chasing treasures. You're not. However, it's very likely that many of us, if not most of us, live with this idea that I can't be happy or content or feel some kind of way until I have a little more salary. Until I get out of my apartment, and get into a little bit bigger apartment. A little nicer house. Or... I can't finally enjoy what I have until we redo the kitchen or the basement or replace the sink. I can't really enjoy life until that number shows up on the scale, whether it's higher or lower than what it is right now. I can't really be satisfied until I have that color of Nikes, no judging. Okay? I can't Really be satisfied to I have just a little bit more. Just a little bit more salary. Just a little bit nicer car. Just a little bit newer this. Just a little bit more that. Just a little bit less weight. A little bit more muscle. And the sermon usually goes, stop chasing those things. Well, that's why that sermon isn't effective. Because you can stop chasing that thing, and then you'll just latch on to a different thing. Jesus is not anti-treasure. He's warning you about what treasures do to your heart. Because here's what you're, you're not chasing that thing, here's what you're chasing. Now listen to me. You're not chasing a certain number in your retirement account so you can, you're not chasing a number. You're chasing the feeling you think you'll get when you have that number. You're not chasing a certain size clothes you want to fit into. You're chasing how you think you're going to feel about yourself. Finally, now that you fit into that size clothes, and guess what? If that's what you're chasing, you better hope you never get out of that size because then you'll feel miserable. It's not you are saying, "Man, if I could just, if I could just own that car, oh, that that BMW or Land Rover, whatever it is, that Mercedes. If I can just own that, then I'll have made." And the sermon usually goes, forget about the Mercedes, forget about the BMW, be happy with it. And I don't want to name any car because you might drive it. Okay, I'll name what I, you'd be happy with a Honda. That's what I drive. Okay? The issue is not the BMW or the Mercedes. The issue is what you think that car will do for you. You've given that car permission to tell you when you can be Content. You've given that amount of salary permission to tell you when you can be all right with yourself. You've given that number in your retirement account permission to tell you when you can finally feel a sense of security. You've given that wardrobe permission to tell you how fulfilled you can feel in life. And if you've done that, you've made them your savior and them your master, and they don't serve you, you serve them. And that's the warning Jesus gives. And he says, I'm going to describe to you two different kinds of investments you can make. Two different kinds of treasure you can have. You can have either one. You can have some of both. He says, all right, here's investment A. You can see it. You can touch it. You can enjoy it now. But it has an expiration date. From the moment you have it, it's going to start diminishing and fading. Also, it's not theft proof. You'll need to protect it because it could be stolen. Also, it will devalue over time. It will eventually be worth nothing. It will deteriorate materially. It might even disintegrate to the point where you can't see it anymore. It might rust. It might get eaten up. Oh, and the other thing, it's not durable. You can't take it with you forever. That's category A. Here's category B. It's thief-proof. It won't burn up. It does not deteriorate it does not devalue. You can't see it tangibly right now, but it's 100% safe and you it will last forever. It is durable. Now, most people in their right mind, if they're not trying to outsmart the speaker, if I said, which of those two things is the wiser investment, which would you say? You'd say B. And we're like, okay, Pastor, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to you know yeah you're making an analogy of what jesus is saying well yeah the point that i'm making is we're not arguing that what he's saying is wise my question is why is it so hard it's kind of a no brainer well yeah that's where that's where i should be investing i should be investing my life resources not in accumulating for myself abundance and excess because of how i think it's going to make me feel i should already feel content in jesus so that I don't need those things to make me feel some kind of way. I already feel that kind of way because Jesus makes me content. He is all that I need, and those things are add-ons. Unfortunately, the human heart says, I need to get all of the things that I have to feel content, and then you can add Jesus to that. And at the end of this chapter, Jesus says his kingdom is not the add-on. We seek him first, and all these other things are the add-ons. And in his kingdom, we have to have a radical reversal of values. So what do we do? Well, I heard what the pastor said, and yeah, I really do. You know, my car's dying and really need a new car. So I guess God's saying to me through the sermon day that I shouldn't have that. I should just, that's not what it's saying. No. All you're doing then is trying to change an external thing in your life and hope that that changes your heart. That's not what he's saying. Jesus cares about the material things in our lives. But when needs become greeds, we elevate those material things to the position of masters and lords in our life. And then we need them to feel some kind of way. And Jesus is saying, the reality is, even once you have them, yes. And some people say, well, pastor, I I did buy a new car and I did feel good. Great. Seven years later, when you got into that car, did you still feel as good as the first day? Well, well, yeah, it is a little messy and a little nasty. It does smell like last week's Arby's. It is kind of a, you know. A, no, you probably cursed that same car on year 10 that you thanked God for on year one. Lord, deliver me from this death trap. I need something new. Why? I know, I know the Lord's testing my faith because of this car. You thanked him for it 10 years ago. The problem is it no longer delivers for you What it did, it started to fade in its content delivering abilities the day you got it. Or at least until you pulled up next to somebody who had something newer and nicer and more expensive than what you were driving. There's probably a day when your apartment was the most amazing blessing God ever gave you, and then you turn on HGTV. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that I needed to have all these upgrades and Crown molding and backsplashes and splack bashes and all these other types of things that I don't know. I need to have two identical twins come and tear this whole thing down and build it all back up again. And then once I finally got that paid off, the styles will change and there'll be new people on HGTV and I'll have to do this all over again. Are you designing your kitchen for them or for you? Is that car for you or for somebody else? There's a young man that I was doing some just basic financial counseling with about nine years ago. He's years ago, moved out of state, doesn't he moved out of state and is doing something different now. But he was getting into real estate at the time and he didn't come to me for real estate counseling. Heaven help him if he did. I don't know real estate. Uh, I know these 66 books. I don't have a lot of other skills beyond that. But it was about developing a budget, we wanted to follow some of the principles we teach in Financial Peace University. And he was just starting in real estate, hadn't sold any properties yet, but had gotten some listings up. And his car that he was driving was no longer reliable, and he had some money saved up. And he was talking to me about whether he should take the money that he saved up, which was enough to buy a very decent pre owned vehicle, pay cash for it with no payment, or go borrow money and buy something different. And I advised him. Hey, what do you need right now? You need a car that's reliable and safe that can get you to and from. You have enough money saved up right now that you can pay cash for it. You don't have a payment. It's a better, you know, go that direction. He said, okay, that, does, that sounds wise. Well, the next week that I saw him, he was driving a brand new Lexus. And I was like, okay, well, tell me the story. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I appreciate what you said, but I talked to one of the more successful realtors in my company. And he told me not to go buy something new, something used. He said, when you drive up to meet the people that are going to look at your property, you don't want to drive in in a car that's three or four years old. They're not going to think that you're successful. You need to drive in on something new and shiny so that the moment they see you, you inspire their confidence and you say, look at me, look how successful I am, and that will make them trust you more. And I'm thinking, you're not successful. I didn't say this because that would have been horrible, but I'm thinking, but you haven't sold any houses. You've sold nothing. So think about what you just did. You went and put yourself in bondage to a lender to buy a car you can't really afford yet, to impress people who don't know you better, to think you're different than you really are so they can backfill your image by giving you money so that later on you can actually be as successful as you're borrowing money from people to appear to be. That's messed up. And that's almost all of our lives to some degree. We spend money that we do or we don't have to buy things that we don't need to impress people we may not even like. We do things and we buy things and we treasure things because we think it's gonna make us feel some way we don't now. I'll finally be able to have my house look as nice as the neighbors. I'll finally show my dad that I made it. I'll finally drive a car that's as nice or nicer than all my coworkers. Is it for you or for them? Why do you... Better question. Why do you feel like you have to look as good as everybody else? It's because you're discontent. And you think material things will solve your discontent problem. I've got news for you. It might solve it temporarily, but it'll wear off, and then you'll feel worse. Almost out of time. Let me give you three quick points. Well, why is this such a problem for us? Why do we... And listen, this impacts all of us. We all wrestle with this. We came into the world with our hearts wanting to have just a little bit more. Number one reason we chase after stuff more than we should, discontentment. We are simply not content. One of the greatest treasures in the New Testament was Paul writes to us, I have learned... To be content. That says something to us. You did not come into the world content. You had to learn it. Havilah will be able to tell you. Her babies did not come into the world learning. I should just not tell anybody. I should just be okay until someone remembers to feed me or change me. You came into the world discontent. And you will scream until someone makes you content. No one sits an infant down and teaches them to do this. We just come into the world this way. When my son was this many years old, I was trying to find the picture in my phone. I couldn't find it. I took a picture of this. I'm trying to describe it as best I can. We're sitting in the basement of our house in Northwind Road. I remember my son sitting on the floor and being very, very upset with me. And I'm sitting, and I'm looking at the room, and he's right here in front of me, right in front of a train table I just assembled, in front of shelves from Ikea filled with toys saying, I don't have anything to play with. And I was like, just sit still. Let me take a picture. And all around him is a room filled with toys. You know what? I'm not content. It's the next toy that will make me content. What I'm saying is no one taught him that. It's how his heart works. John D. Rockefeller, most wealthy man in the world at the turn of the 19th century. He was, yeah, yeah, somebody said it. <laughs> Yeah, he, his net worth at that time in today's dollars exceeded that of Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos. Okay. He was asked, how much is finally enough money for you? And he said, just a little bit more. That's discontent. Jesus says, if you are in the habit of storing up excess to the point where it's corroding, Or you have to put it in safes or banks. You can't even use it all. It's just excess. What he's trying to help you understand, first of all, you need to understand why you're doing it. You're doing it because you think you'll finally at some point have enough to be content. In other words, you and I connect contentedness to material things. And what Jesus is saying, as long as you do that, those material things will be more of a Lord over you to you than I can be, and there is no such thing as a second place Lord. How do I break free? You experience the fullness of contentment that only Jesus can provide. And you know what the result is? Freedom. Complete freedom from the expectation of what material things have to deliver to you. Wouldn't it be nice to live in such a way that whether you have a lot or a little or you're somewhere in the middle, none of those things determine how you think about yourself. They don't determine your contentedness. They don't determine your security, your safety, your confidence, or your self-image. What if you could just live independent of the influence those things have over your content bucket? That's true freedom. And what Jesus says is, I am the only one who can supply those things in you forever. And if you receive that from me, then it's not a problem with the things anymore. You can have them, but they won't have you. You can possess them, but they won't possess you. You tell them where to go. They don't tell you where to go. How many of the things that you do, if we traced it backwards, you're doing it because you're serving the pursuit of a thing you don't have that you want? Why do we do it? Because we're not. Content and the solution is to discover the contentment that only Jesus can provide. Number two, devaluation. This is a hard one. Jesus says, Look where someone's treasures are, what they treasure, where they put dollars and time into in abundance. Where do they put the most of their money, the second most, the third most, the fourth most? Jesus draws a a direct connection between what you treasure and where your heart is located. Now, this might make you uncomfortable because it makes me uncomfortable. I'm not your accountant. I don't care to be. I don't know what or how you spend your money on unless you tell me. And Why would you do that anyway? But it's gonna be, you're setting yourself up for a sobering encounter with Jesus if the reality of your life is that you give more to Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks and Target than you do to missionaries to help the poor, to expand God's kingdom. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people over the years, Pastor, I just, you know, I know I should give to the church. I know I should give to missionaries. I know I should help the poor. I, know I, should help I just, It's just hard for me. Here's, here's the reality. There are certain things in your life that money flows freely out of your pocket. It can't get out of there fast enough. You don't think about it at all. For me, it's my kids. I have a problem. Oh, that's so admirable. I'm just being honest with you. It's my kids. We have to set a budget at Christmas because I'll overspend. Some of you, you have to spend a budget because you won't spend. (laughs) They have enough already. They should be thankful for the air they breathe, right? I have a problem. I do. It flows out of my wallet fast and reckless. If you have a bad day and you're like, oh, I just need a, you know what, if I, that, that Frappuccino will cheer me up. You'll find six bucks the next morning, oh, I'm having such a good day. You know what I should do to celebrate? Frappuccino. Running late for breakfast, better have a frappuccino. Oh, I'm going to skip lunch. Oh, I, I missed lunch today. Well, I guess we'll call that fasting. And I'm just on the way home, I'll get a frappuccino. You can't fast retroactively, by the way. Okay. okay. Pastor, are you anti-frappuccino? Should we all? No, that's poverty gospel talk. What I'm saying is this. If money flies, flies faster towards those things and more easily than it does for the things of God's kingdom, you should at least step back and say, why is that a problem in my heart? Are you a follower of Jesus? I absolutely am. Then why is it easier for you to give your hard-earned money to a coffee or a tool or this or that than it is to God's kingdom? I'm just asking you to do the exercise of asking why that's still a struggle. The answer is because the reality is, as much as you don't want to say it, you value those things a little bit more than God's kingdom things. You will have a hard time convincing Jesus that you valued his kingdom more if there's no evidence to back it up other than your well wishes and your intentions. Oh, I would have, could have, should have. Well, what did you do with what I gave you? Well, I didn't have a lot. Well, you buried a lot of it in Starbucks. Well, I couldn't give to my church because, you know, they don't sing enough hymns and they don't do communion off enough. Okay, have you investigated how Howard Schultz of Starbucks spends all your money? Well, that's different. How is it? If you're going to start going down that road, then be consistent in everything. You know where BGE, all their employees spend it? You want to go down that road? Those are just excuses to cover up the fact of devaluation. If whatever you treasure... Your heart will be there and so will your checkbook. Now that you all love me so much, how about number three? <laughs> Disbelief. Pastor, at the end of the day, if I live the way I think Jesus is living, I'm not going to have any stuff. I'm going to be naked. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to have poverty. I'm not going to have high speed Wi Fi. I have to delete some apps. We're not gonna be able to vacation. I'm gonna have to beg for things. I have to downgrade from downgrade from Chick-fil-A to Burger King. No more Frappuccinos, just Chinos. Make them out of pods at home. I just don't think the kind of God that I think He's just He's He's always wanting from me things that don't belong to Him. You sound like one of the dudes in Jesus' parable. Well, I didn't. I buried my one talent because I know who you are. You take what doesn't belong to you, and all you're looking to do is get a handout from everybody. So I just buried it in the ground. Jesus gives an idiom that we miss because I'm not Jewish. Can we go back to verse, um, the the eyes verses? I think 23 and 22 and 23. Yeah, verse 22. It sounds not fit. I'll land. I'll land on this because I probably ticked half of you off, and the other half wasn't paying attention. So let me just land here. Listen, at the end of the day, you have to hear it. I had to hear it all week. And I did not escape unscathed. My wife and I sat down yesterday, Excel spreadsheet in hand, and like, listen, can we just talk through this again? We want to make sure we're okay with the way that we are balancing out our needs, saving for the future, giving and living in a recipe that is blessable before the Lord. And there's more than one way to look at that. But at the same time, I'm just like, I want to just... Not only look at what we're doing, but I want to ask the question, why are we doing it? Is it wise, and are we doing it for the right reasons? Because, look, Bible is not anti-saving for the future. Proverbs says, save for your future. Be like the ants, right? Bible is not anti-you saving up money for a rainy day. Bible is not anti-you having things. The Bible is very careful about you serving things. Having things, serving things, two different things. The Bible doesn't want you looking to material things to do for you what only Jesus can. Because if that's the case, when it comes down to picking one or the other, you'll always pick the material thing. You'll always pick the tool over the missionary if you can only do one or the other. You'll always make the vacation the first over and God will be the leftovers. Leftovers. And it's not the issue of the thing. It's what you look to the thing to make you feel or do. And that's a spot that only Jesus wants. Okay. But here's what he says about eyes. The eyes are lamp of the body. If your eyes are, I'll put the original word in there. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. Have you ever heard the phrase giving someone the evil eye? Okay, don't give it. Some of you have been giving it to me since about 1212. So stop it. He said it, I'm just helping you make sure you understand it. Reality is, I don't think any of you are mad at me. You're kind of like where I am, like it's true, and sometimes that's really challenging to hear because it makes me look at stuff in my heart that I don't want to be true, but maybe I'm wrestling with it more than I am. Here's the good news. If it bothers you at all when you're hearing it, that's the Holy Spirit. And how would he be acting on your heart if he didn't live in you? And how would he live in you if you weren't saved? It's just the evidence of you being saved. It's Christ-likeness going on in your heart. It's the process and the journey. And haven't we said before that sometimes this journey is difficult? Haven't you ever heard me say that? This is what difficult feels like sometimes. So welcome to the difficult. All you do is you're going to do one thing or the other. You're going to say, okay, Holy Spirit. You're going to say, not now, Holy Spirit. You're going to surrender or resist. That's your choice, not mine. Okay? But Here's what he says. If you, What it meant in the Jewish world to have an evil eye. Thank you for G. Campbell Morgan in this old book from 1929 where he did all the work on the Greek here. In the Jewish world, to look with someone with an evil eye meant to look through a lens of greed and covetousness at someone else's lifestyle. It meant you see someone with more camels than you and you look at them a certain way and that's an evil eye. And you look at them and you don't feel good about their possessions. You feel bad about it. You're mad that they have it and you don't. You see it and you want it, but you can't have it. And you... And you start to harbor greed and covetousness in your heart. And what Jesus is saying is he doesn't want you to have an evil eye because you're going to see God, people, stuff, and things through that lens. Well, how come they are driving a new car and I'm out here driving my Honda? I have been at church every week and I pray three times a day whether God wants to hear it or not. I fast a lot. I do this. I deserve... How come they get, I bet they knew somebody, I bet they, and you see through that lens. And Jesus says, be careful, if you live with an evil eye, you're going to have a bad idea of who God is. You're going to see him as someone who wants to take from you, not as someone who wants to give give to you. You're going to see him as somebody who should serve you, not you serve him. You're going to see everything in his life as belonging to you and you're entitled to it. And Jesus just makes this simple point. If your eye is filled with light, then you can see what other people have or don't have. You can see what you have or you don't have. But those things don't mess with your heart. There's no greed. There's no covetousness. It's interesting. These few verses, Jesus talks about extras. The next couple verses, he talks about necessities. And his advice on, the, on both is the same. With extras, don't covet. With necessities, don't worry. That is the evidence of someone who's a citizen of his kingdom. So what's our conclusion? Fortunately, they have it for the screen, and I can read it to you. Investing in God's kingdom is a better use of our resources than chasing and accumulating earthly treasures. Because unlike material things, God's kingdom promises returns and rewards that are eternal. So, Pastor, are you saying I should stop saving money and I should stop planning for retirement? I should give it? That's not what I'm saying. That's a whole bunch of external activities. The better idea is what is going on in your heart today? What's going on in your heart today? Why don't you wait till you can understand that and then act out of it? If you just rush to do a whole bunch of external stuff right now. You're doing the same thing the Pharisees were doing. If I just change all my behaviors, maybe my heart will change. This is a heart thing. It's a heart thing. God doesn't have a problem with your car, your house, your apartment, your vacations unless you serve those things. Then there's a problem. Because what does he say? No man can serve two masters. It's intrinsically impossible. And Jesus is not going to play second place. Lordship means he's first. But the benefit that comes with him being first is complete soul contentment. To be completely accepted. And guess what? When you're free from having to chase those material things to be content, it will become easier for you to chase that feeling of, now I can give the way my heart really wants to give because I don't feel as much hesitation. Because when I give, I don't think, oh, I'm giving this $100 to this missionary. That's just X amount of less coffees to drink this week. Those things disconnect. (laughs) You just give because your, your heart wants to and your checking account allows you to. Every time you give to this church, you're investing in God's kingdom. Every time you you help the poor or you help someone who's going through a difficult time financially in the name of Jesus, you're expanding God's kingdom. Every time you give to missionaries like we do, every time you help be build churches like we do, every time you help with with our you know, uh, the ministry for, that we that we have for uh, th- with the Gabriel Network, every time that we invest in movies in the park, every time that we sponsor classrooms with book bags and backpacks, every time that we give uh, uh, Samaritan's purse, every time you invest in that, you're investing in God's kingdom. And the mystery of this passage is well, Jesus talks about rewards. What are they? Gold? Bullion? Silver? Lots of clothes? Shoes? Better Nikes than what we get here? Limited release Jordans? Only available to Christians in heaven? What are they? Do you trust them? I'll just let you know. Here's my theory on it. You ready? I don't think there's vocabulary to explain it. That's my theory. Because if it was just a better version of something you could have here, well, you could still get it with enough resources. But I trust him if, that if salvation is as delicious as it has been for me, if he's promising me rewards, at the end of the day, if you come to God, you have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. That your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you openly. Openly. And that if Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven by investing his kingdom with your resources now, okay. Maybe I don't need so many vests. Maybe I don't need one for every day of leap year. But whether I have them or I don't. Those things no longer compete with the loyalty for God's kingdom in my life. I have a ways to go. I did not realize how materialistic I truly was. Because here's the reality. You don't have to have money to be greedy. You just need to think you need to have money to be somebody to become greedy. I know a lot of people, myself included, who have come from nothing and don't have a whole lot of stuff. And you can get in that place even among my pastor friends. And I'm like, oh, okay. I remember one time a pastor said to me, he's like, did you get up and shovel this? It was during a snowstorm. You got up and shoveled it? I was like, yeah, all day long. It's like, yeah, the people in my gated community were bothering me with their snow blowers being so loud while I was inside with my hot chocolate. I was like, you turkey. <laughs> but you know what? Even in that moment, something went on in my heart. I was a little less thankful for the house that I had and the snowblower that I owned. I had a snowblower. A machine that is delightful that will throw snow in my neighbor's yard. (laughs) First world problems, right? But even in those moments, you know what it makes you think? Oh, Maybe someday, maybe my house isn't enough. Maybe I need to be in a gated community. Why? Why can't I just be content now? Good news, I can. And so can you through Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for you. Worship team, will you come? Heavenly Father, this is a tough one. It's a tough one. Most of us aren't going to push back about the truth because it's pretty obvious. Where we struggle is where there's just that tug of war in our heart at times. And we certainly haven't wrestled to the ground how all the little loose ends of this passage play out in our lives. It does make us question at times, how much is enough? How much is too much? How much should I give? How much should I keep? And Lord, we, we know there are some general truths in this passage, but I also know that you want us to trust you individually and personally and to give us each personal wisdom for the details in our own lives. Some of those answers might generally be the same around our room but specifically at different seasons of our lives. Lord, we need to hear you what you're talking about to us individually or us as a family, and what that looks to us right now. Most importantly, Lord, I recognize that this message sounds completely ridiculous to anybody who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. It sounds illogical, it sounds reckless. But probably at the same time also sounds oddly appealing like, man, could I really live in a way that I can feel okay with me regardless of my weight or my size or how much I have or how little I have or how big or small of a house I have or whether I have a gated community where someone does work for me or not, whether I can retire or not that I can be safe, that I can feel secure, that I can feel whole, that I can feel without deficit in you and Jesus. My experience has been yes and amen. That is what I have experienced when I met you. And so friend, if you're listening to this on a podcast or you're watching on YouTube or you're here, I I don't want you to hear the voice of of Phil Nauer this morning. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus today. He's saying, please, uh, the, the gate to my kingdom, it's narrow, but it's open. I am the way, I am the truth. If you will but, Put your faith in Jesus. He will save you. He will transform you. He will send his spirit to take up residence and live inside of you. And he will begin day by day, moment by moment to transform you into the image of Christ himself. But it begins with a moment of salvation where we believe and we repent. We believe we need to be saved, that Jesus can save us and that he will save us. If we ask, you do not need to know the all of the words of the Old Testament to be saved. You don't need to answer a 20-question short answer test. You just have to believe that you need saving, that Jesus is the only one who can do it and that he's willing to do it for you if you ask and you bring to him your willingness to repent. That means to turn away from a life where you're the Lord and you live your way and instead you turn and say, I surrender as a servant to Jesus and I will live his way. Do you believe? Will you repent? If the answer is yes, all you need to do is just say that to Jesus. Confess it to him. In your words, he will hear you. He will forgive you. He will save you. If you need some specific guidance, a simple prayer you can pray is, Jesus, I know I need to be saved because I've sinned. I believe you can save me because you lived a perfect life with no sin. You substituted yourself for me. On the cross, the punishment that I deserve doesn't get swept under the rug. You took it. And what you offer me is a clean resume that is yours in exchange. I believe you rose from the dead and you're alive today. And that means that you defeated death and that you're eternal. And I'm taking you up on your promise that if I follow in your ways, I can expect the same thing. So I confess that to you, Jesus. I believe it. I'm deeply convinced And I turn away from living by my way and what I think is right. And I surrender to your way. I don't want to be whatever I want. I want to be just like you. I receive your Holy Spirit into me today. Lead me, guide me, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're safe. You don't have to do another thing. But I do want to encourage you to do something a little brave. It's just a personal favor from Phil to you. You don't have to do this to be saved. But if you prayed that prayer with me, when I count to three, would you be brave enough to just slip up your hand, and make eye contact with me, and you can put it right down? I won't ask any more than that. Just want to celebrate this moment with you because that's the best decision you'll ever make. Who prayed with me this morning? One, two, three. Anybody at all today? Pray that prayer with me. Awesome. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? So make sure I caught everybody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for new life. Lord, all of us put ourselves before you today and say, continue to work on us. Lord, you don't want any of us to walk out of here feeling beaten down or guilty or downtrodden. You just want our hearts to be open to this conversation about the role we looked for material things to supply us in our life. And Lord, we want to be the owners, not the slaves when it comes to how we relate to. We don't want to be the slave to material things being our master. We want to be able to own and have and possess things without those things owning and having and possessing us. And so Lord, help us to be aware of our motivations for why we chase some things and be able to settle those things through our relationship with you so that we can be free to enjoy those things, whether you bring them into our life or not, to be able to hold them lightly. In your precious name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, We'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.